Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Make Money Count. I feel like it's actually been quite a while that I've been on. I mean, the last show you did alone. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, was it? Was it better without me? <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking about the budget that the federal government released. Was it a good or a bad thing? Mm, I would say it is a bad thing. But I think that budgets in general, it's, it's good to understand like what the federal budget is, right? It's an right. opportunity for the federal government to market what their agenda is and how successful they feel that they have been mm-hmm. and who they're pandering to going forward. Um, unfortunately, I think that like, if you take the federal budget as a whole, it shows that the federal government is number one, they're going to spend more money. Mm -hmm. So we're in this period of high inflation where the bank of Canada is trying to combat inflation. The federal government is going to spend another $40 billion in the budget. Seems like a lot of money. Yeah. Um, there's some weird stuff where like, you know, they're going to give back GST rebates. They're going to, you know, kind of hand money back to households. I heard about the grocery thing. Lo- yeah. The, the HST yeah, grocery yeah. rebate thing. Um, and from my remedial understanding of economics, when you just hand money to people, it is not a tool to fight inflation, let's just say. Right. Uh, although it's relatively small amounts of money. Yeah. Um, About $2,000 a month, that's for sure. It also kind of... it's You know what the federal budget reminded me of? What? It's like Canada was cheating off of the United States on a test. Right. Which is generally the case anyways, though. It's like the United States... Under Biden, yeah, under Biden, the United States has has kind of um, rolled out these initiatives to focus on clean energy funding, mm-hmm. and uh, Canada has very much followed the lead. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of stuff in there for you know focus on tax credits and funding for clean energy initiatives. That's all going to be paid for by the taxpayer. Um, and like the banks are going to get hit. Insurance companies are going to get hit. There's some tax treatment of dividends that's taking place. Dividends in Canadian companies are going to get taxed differently, which is going to be more uh, tax exposure for banks and insurance companies predominantly. Mm. Um, that'll have an impact. Um, listen, (laughs) there's going to be more tax to pay for things. And the things that we're going to be paying for are directed for, I, I almost say equally, clean energy initiatives mm-hmm. and, you know, lower income families um, getting more out of the budget. Paying for uh, uh, Galen Weston's cash grabbing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Loblaw has definitely been very profitable yeah. uh, through this inflationary period. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the, like, the, the part that people will want to know is like, how will the budget impact housing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, 
also in the budget, you know, it discusses like this massive amount of immigration that's taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, I just read that we took in, uh, in the year 2022, we took in um, 1 million um, immigrants, right? Over 1 million immigrants. Wow. It's interesting that we found that out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the budget does try to address the, um, the problem in housing supply. So there's money earmarked for increasing um, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. But um, there's nothing really kind of tangible that you can sink your teeth into that it's doing what it, that it, it's going to serve to actually make housing more affordable. Like yeah. housing's never been less affordable than it is right now. Right. Right. Property values haven't dropped that much mm-hmm. and interest rates have gone up a lot. Mm-hmm. And those two factors, this budget's not addressing, right? The, I would say the Bank of Canada probably read the budget and they were like, oh, like, I'm more spending, right? Yeah, like, yeah, what are we doing? Well, we're, you know, I don't think it's going to result in the Bank of Canada having to increase interest rates. Do the naughty thing? No, I don't think we're going to see that. Um, that was a bit, like, honestly, the bigger story, bigger than this budget, as far as impact to Canadian homeowners, is... You know, and unfortunately, we we weren't able to do a show last week. But during this Silicon Valley Bank right crisis, yeah, bond yields dropped so significantly. You want to pull up a bond yields chart, Matt? You know, I love my bond yields. Just give me one moment. So the bond yields dropped so significantly because of Silicon Valley Bank and because yeah. of the crisis that occurred, and it's still occurring within the U S banking system. And I was really excited to talk about that actually mm-hmm. more so than talk about the budget. Right. Um, and it always kind of ends up like I sit here and then I'm like, Oh man, that's what I wanted to talk about. Right, right, right. But like, do you understand what happened with Silicon Valley bank? No, but before you tell me, can I just uh, to have a little anecdote here? I just pictured you as like an old man with like a, like a, a bond yield wrapped in like, like a candy thing in your pocket and you're like, you know how much I love the bond yield. <laughs> and then you eating a bond yield, however that however Yeah. Happens. Yeah. Anyways, go on. I wish. I wish. It'd be tasty. Uh, so, like Silicon Valley Bank, oh, here we go. Can you tighten it up over the last, uh, like, three months? Or no? This is not my preferred instrument to highlight the bond yield, by the way, but, uh, Anyways, you see that drop there um, in um, well, whatever. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, What's the point? It's a point. Yeah, yeah. Huge amount got carved off of uh, bond yields. And the reason why it got carved off is because everybody got so worried that there was this systemic risk inside of these like second tier US banks. It's mm-hmm. a really weird thing that happened. So like Silicon Valley Bank. Whom I really never heard of until then. Oh, really? Okay. So they grew, uh, their deposits grew pretty significantly. So they, as their name indicates, they serve uh, a lot of the kind of tech companies 
and uh, the venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And there was so much capital raising and these companies got so much money over the last 10 years that they were flush with cash and they had cash deposited with Silicon Valley Bank. And it was I, like, I was, I was reading something. It was like over six quarters, the amount of capital, the amount of deposits at Silicon Valley Bank tripled. That's wild. Uh, like 60 billion to 180 billion. Um, so massive amount of capital on deposit with Silicon Valley Bank. And they needed to put the capital to work. That's the way a bank works, right? Mm -hmm. They get deposits. They got to get earn a yield on those deposits. So in an effort to make money, right? Banks are profit-driven. In an effort to make money, they deployed the capital into what they perceived to be low-risk loan markets, mm -hmm. right? Low-risk bonds. But in a time like what we went through, bonds aren't necessarily low-risk. They they're low risk because you will be certain to receive, almost certain to receive your principal back, mm -hmm. the amount that you invest. But the price of the bond drops in accordance with how high yields are going. Mm -hmm. So if you buy a bond and the coupon rate, the yield on the bond is 2% and the Federal Reserve increases interest rates so significantly over the period of time that you're holding the bond, as the yield on the bond increases, the price must fall. Mm -hmm. So if you're a bank and you intend on holding those bonds until the maturity of the bond, it doesn't really matter. Right. But if you're forced to liquidate those bonds in advance of the maturity of the bond, right? you're liquidating, you're selling it at a point when yields are going up where the price of the bond has dropped. Right. So if you're Silicon Valley Bank and you got dumped on a whole bunch of money in deposits and you put all this money into bonds and then those deposit holders were like, we got to get our money back, mm -hmm. right? Which was occurring. Well, then you have to liquidate the bonds in order to give the deposit holders their money back. What happened was the difference between what they had purchased, the price they had purchased the bonds at and what they were selling the bonds for was so significant that it was it was more than the market capitalization of the bank. It was more than the value of the bank. So imagine that for a second. You've got this entity that is supposed to be protecting people's capital. Mm -hmm. It takes in a whole bunch of capital. It makes investments with those capital. And it does not have a capital buffer great enough to absorb the difference between what it took the deposits in at and what it just liquidated the investments to pay out the deposit holders. Right. So it started out Peter Thiel, um, who's a venture capitalist. He's like, he's claimed to fame as he's a gay guy who is a Republican backer and he heavily backed Trump. Okay. So before we talk about Peter <laughs> Thiel, before we talk about Peter Thiel, like we're probably going to get sued by him because he put Gawker out of business. <laughs> like, he, Did he really? Yeah. I because like, Gawker. okay. So like Peter Thiel is the guy that, that paid well, didn't say Paul Hogan. He, well, this is the thing you mentioned Peter. He doesn't get mentioned in the media at all because he paid Hulk Hogan to take down Gawker for the sex videos that got leaked. He bit, literally backed up his whole like legal claim Paid for it all, well, like, listen, and now you like listen. you Google that guy, and that guy Hang comes up with like a blank screen. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what type of relationship you and Peter have, <laughs> but I will say that, this: it's all I'm telling, all I'm saying is, 
he came out and he was like, all of our portfolio companies, so all the companies that he had backed that use Silicon Valley Bank, he instructed them to take the money out. Right. And that created a run on the bank. Right. So over a short period of time, word got out, get your money out of Silicon Valley Bank. People started pulling money out of the bank, which meant that they needed to be repaid, which meant that the bank needed to liquidate its investments, which meant that the bank had to sell these things at a loss and pay off all these people. But the last investors in there, there was going to be nothing left for them. So the FDIC, which is the insure, like there's a CDIC in Canada, yeah, 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 which insures your deposits with the bank, mm-hmm. but insures them up to a maximum of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I heard about this. So anything over two hundred fifty thousand dollars is um, gone. Is supposed to be gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not gone in this case. Right. Okay, so they backstopped it. Um, but there's two things that came out of this crisis. The number one thing is there, they, so, and then Charles, there was a run on Charles Schwab and they were first Republican. There were other banks that kind of uh, were next on this hit list, right? What came of it is as soon as the, like, it's, it's honestly, it's like my complaint with watching too much CNBC, right? CNBC and BNN Bloomberg, the things that they'll tell you, they'll tell you why something happened after it happened, they'll never tell you what's going to happen. No, of course. Right? Well, why would they? Right. So what happened in this case is as soon as this happened to Silicon Valley Bank, all the analysts started diving into the information. They were like, okay, well, we better figure out who else has exposure in the same way that Silicon Valley Bank had this material exposure. Read who bought a whole bunch of these bonds that have now devalued in price and who might be forced to liquidate those bonds at the reduced price instead of being able to hold them to maturity. And then those people will be at risk. And let's see, is there a possibility that the difference between what they need to pay their deposit holders and what they're going to sell these, this collection of bonds for, is there a risk of any of these other players that it might exceed the market capitalization of the bank? Right. And that's why you saw the knock-on effects. Right, right. So what happened was, number one, it highlighted that like if you are trying to make money at one of these second tier banks, right, which is what they're like when they're making money, it's fine. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, of course. But then all of a sudden something bad has happened. Well, the FDIC is going to come in and backstop it. FDIC is not taxpayer money, by the way, which is a misconceived notion. It's actually a fund that the banks pay into. So it's not the taxpayer that's putting the bill for it. If the Treasury Department steps in, then it's the taxpayer that's putting the bill for it. It wasn't the taxpayer in this case. The after aftermarket solutions that happen when they kind of combine banks with each other and provide loans and backstops and guarantees, that's the taxpayer on the hook for it. But FDIC deciding to fully insure deposits for somebody, that's not the taxpayer. Right. So let's just just so we know kind of what pocket the money's coming out of. But the first thing it told us was like capitalism is broken. Right. To me, like when I read that first, when I was like, oh my God, like Silicon Valley Bank clearly made some big mistakes, right? Like Silicon Valley Bank, whoever was managing risk forgot that increasing interest rates was going to increase yield on bonds, which would thereby decrease pricing on bonds, which would render assets that they were buying worth less than what they were buying them for. And who is also probably never going to get a job again. 
for sure they'll get another job, man. Don't worry. This industry, like, they'll pop up somewhere. But we're going to go work at the government. Yeah. But yeah. I actually, I think that the guy actually worked for Lehman Brothers before that. <laughs> Is that I, a joke? I, no, no. I'm, I'm serious. I'm pretty sure that that guy, the risk department manager, worked yeah, for like, Lehman Brothers before that. Well, so, so think about that. So, first of all, capitalism is broken, right? Because this bank was making bad decisions. But when, the, when their decisions were making the money, everybody sat back. And then when the decisions caused a problem, we stepped in. Right. So what does that tell you? It tells you that like unfettered capitalism works when it's profitable. And when it isn't, your lobbying power allows you to go and get money from the government. Okay. The second problem was people started pulling their money out of all of these second tier banks and putting their money into the larger American banks because the Treasury, the United States government came out and said, we are going to backstop Silicon Valley bank deposits, but we won't necessarily do it for another one of these second tier banks, these smaller banks, because we don't, we don't determine them to be too big to fail. Right. But we do determine some financial institutions to be too big to fail. I just want to add that um, that I think it's something like ninety five percent of the deposits in in Silicon Valley Bank are over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Where you know the big banks they don't you know they're average consumers that are depositing their paychecks. So uh, I think that you know big Silicon companies are depositing millions of dollars a day. So that was a big thing of. Um, I don't why? know if you look at dollar amount as opposed to number of accounts. Oh, I yeah. Think it would be different because I think if you look yeah, at you're right. the you're right. overall capitalization of the deposits, they're probably, they're probably larger deposit holders. Like it doesn't matter. Like JP Morgan has got people with bank accounts. Like I remember a while ago, uh, David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, the NFL team a hedge fund manager that runs a company, a hedge fund called Appaloosa. Okay. Apparently, it was suspected he left his ATM receipt uh, <laughs> somewhere, like in probably in the Hamptons. And it, somebody picked it up and it was like $197 million. It was in his checking account. Oh my God. Pull that up for a second, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Pull that up. That's wild. David Tepper ATM receipt. Uh, let me just jump back in. I will say like, even though like they are the 16th largest bank in America, it's the second biggest bank failure in America. So like those numbers kind of goes to show you that like, you know, there's 15 banks that are bigger and if they fall too, they're all going to be the second biggest bank failure in America. It, and on its, it also, it smacks of this, this concept that everybody has been talking about. Like what is, what is it that's going to break? What is going to cause the economy to break increasing interest rates so dramatically? It's going to be something. What is it going to be? Well, we just saw one thing, right? Mm. And nobody had predicted that, right. right? Nobody said, oh, it's going to be a problem because there's so many banks that have been gorging themselves on these, you know, bonds. bonds. And when the price of these bonds drops, if they're forced to liquidate and sell at that point, if they don't have a long enough time horizon to sell the bonds, they're going to be in trouble. 
By the way, we have a podcast where we speak about about bonds and go through the definition of a bond and, and how bond yields work. <laughs> oh, it's not 199 million. It's the same shit. Capital what? Bank. I think that's just the ATM. I don't know if that was necessarily where his bank yeah, Isn't was. that where people get credit cards when their credit's uh, shot? No, it's a, it's a the thing. Yeah. Prepaid interest on the right. prepaid credit cards. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do do those. Yeah. Well, it's great to rebuild credit. Yeah, it is. It is. Anyways, it's just funny, right? Because like you've got consumers that are being so careful right now and they're being squeezed and you've got like like our finance minister Christian Friedland who just released this budget told Canadians that they should cancel their Netflix subscriptions as a way to kind of batten down the hatches and combat inflation and and you know get ready for a recession but and this is in the United States, obviously, but I'm sure, you know, the same, if not more accommodative stimulus would be handed out to a Canadian bank should they fall upon the same trouble. Like, there's no punishment for that. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were trying to make as much money as they could for their shareholders. Right. That's why they made a mistake. Right. Right. And they made a mistake. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, Marcus, if they had invested it in something else where it wasn't locked in for five years, they would have been able to maybe access that capital in an easier way. Like it's not locked in. It's an open market. They trade. Yeah. Right? But I mean, so like, it, 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 I mean, if they held the, the bond for the term, they wouldn't have lost any money, but they wouldn't have been able to access the capital for their depositors. Right. So they had to liquidate in order to get that capital. Right. Yeah. Right. So it may, if they were able invested in something that didn't have a term like that, a locked in term. Uh, you know, may, may, are these other banks, are they only investing in bonds? What other markets are these banks investing in where uh, it could affect us like this or not even affect or like make this, some, this transition easier for them to access that capital? Okay. So the issue in this case is that they were so have they, they, they didn't diversify out as much as they should have. Yeah. They put yeah. so much into these bonds. These bonds have maturity dates. At the maturity date of the bond, you get the, the coupon value of the bond. Mm -hmm. You get the face value of the bond. You bought a $100 bond. You get the $100 back. Mm -hmm. But if it, the $100 bond has a coupon rate of 2% when it was issued mm -hmm. and the yields are 6%, well, then the bond on the day that you sell it sells for no $96. $4 of the price of the bond comes off to provide the additional yield to meet the market. Right? So the, yeah. the bond has a $2 coupon. Right? Hey, Justin, there is a podcast that you can watch on our... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's... So if you are forced to liquidate that in advance, you have to sell it in the market. Right? If you can hold it until it's maturity, it's going to be worth what it's worth. But by holding it until maturity, you also have to subject yourself to just receiving the 2% rate on the coupon, right? So you're, you're buying less money on an annualized basis on the coupon. So it's kind of like, I had this conversation today at lunch with somebody. When you invest in something, you have to have the thesis that you're going to hold it till it's maturity. Mm -hmm. So why, if you are a bank, that is subjected to the whims of your deposit holders and must provide them with their liquidity when they need it. How can you be allowed 
to put to lock up this much money when you know that if you need to access it in advance, you're going to be hit with a loss at whatever the prevailing rate in the market is. It's a misstep. It's a mistake that was made and it should be punished. Right. Right. And so with that being said, is that also because of their timing? Like they, they did it when interest rates were so low through the COVID market or like if they did it maybe yeah, in man. 99, in, 19, in 2019, no. it would have been a different story or? Yeah. Like a good question. Think about it like this. They were met with over six quarters, over one and a half years. They, I think it's that they tripled. You got to look that up. Because like I read stuff. No, you're right. You're right about this. So 160 to 180, right? Sorry? It went from like 160 to 180. No, 60. And, oh, 60. Oh, 60 wow. billion in deposits oh, to wow, 180, yeah. maybe more inside of a year and a half, right? They got a lot of money because these tech startups or whoever were raising capital. So let's say you're the venture capitalist and I started something, you know, you raise capital for me and you dump me a hundred million dollars and I'm going to use that hundred million dollars to further my company. I'm going to put it in Silicon Valley bank. Mm -hmm. It's where you bank. It's where I bank. The money goes in. I'm not a banker. I just started a technology company that sells dog bones, you know, and delivers them to people and dogs can order them online through some <laughs> type of Neuralink, Neuralink AI that's ingrained in the dog's head and it's like a treat. You know, okay, who knows? I got, yeah. It's a smart idea, whatever it is. I got a hundred million dollars. It's a pretty good idea. All I do <laughs> is manufacture the chips for the dogs to salivate and have a bone delivered to the house. Let's say that's my business. My business is not to manage the risk associated with where my money is held. So I don't like. I'm not thinking about the FDIC and their two hundred fifty thousand dollar guarantee. Yeah, yeah, I just want my money have to be somewhere, and like I'll let my CFO or my treasurer handle it. And I want to focus on building my product mm -hmm. and satisfying whatever my customer wants. The dog, yeah, the dog. It's probably the dog owner because they're paying for it. Justin, yeah. I don't know what world you live in, but dogs don't actually have money. Anyways. The problem is, is that they got so much money from all of the, the Silicon Valley Bank needed to be aware of who their customer was. How about that? They needed to be aware of their customer and their customer's market. You know, banks always say like, we understand you. We know you. Mm -hmm. That's what makes us a good bank. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, if Silicon Valley Bank knew who their customer was, it was a tech entrepreneur that just got $100 million, dumped it into Silicon Valley Bank en masse, I would add. Tons of money flowing into this bank from specific users of the bank who Silicon Valley Bank should have understood who were going to need that capital to fund their businesses. Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley Bank should have been watching as the Federal, uh, Federal Reserve came out and said, we're going to be increasing rates. They should have thought, how is that going to affect our borrowers? Mm -hmm. How's it going to affect our investors, our deposit holders? How's that going to affect our bank? And if you play this out, you should be able, if you're the guy at the helm of this, you should be able to see that credit markets are going to tighten. Venture capital is not going to have the same amount of money to invest in these companies. These companies are going to be burning through their capital. They're going to be needing their capital. It's not going to be sitting there forever. Mm -hmm. There should be a model on how long that money was, was planning on being in that bank for. Right. And then when those people started calling on that money, they should have been able to see that. So 
again, the issue is, and a lot of people have now come out and talked about this, like Ray Dalio, you know, Bridgewater hedge fund manager, like, you know, genius money market manager. He he's been calling this stuff for years. He's and Carl Icahn <clears throat> right away. He just came out. He's like, listen, this is not my business. Um, but I can tell you that it seems like the market's broken. Mm-hmm. The moment that like, you know, you can say that like, oh, you know, you didn't do your job properly and, you know, you screwed up and you made a mistake that's so significant it wiped out the entire market value of your bank, but we'll backstop it. Yeah, that's a bit messed up. Yeah. So I think that's like, like far bigger than the federal budget in Canada. I think the biggest story is how much that banking crisis that only lasted for a week. Yeah, it's gone now. Yeah. Impacted bond yields. Right. And you saw right away. And then people started coming out and saying like, well, the probability of a recession is now higher. Right. The S&P is still at 4,000, although it did drop to like 3,800 over that same period of time. So what, what, the, what this served to do is it highlighted how quickly rates moved as a response to, what ha- to when the market broke. Mm-hmm. you got to see like in we're in this period right now where like you know, everyone is so impacted by interest rates and how high they are but eventually the interest rates are going to break something mm-hmm. and when that happens interest rates are going to fall yeah and what we just saw happen was they did break something and they quickly kind of stepped in and sweeped it up like it was the same time that like credit suisse got uh got brought into UBS, bought, I suppose, but it was like a forced marriage backstop by the central bank of Switzerland. But like, it's the same time that all this was going on. There's definitely more happening in banking. And what the result is going to be is less liquidity in banking, read less money getting lent out, Mm -hmm. less money available. People are going to get a little bit tighter at that higher banking level which slows the economy down also. That's already happening. Mm-hmm. It just expedited it. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that any Canadian banks are at risk right now? No. 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 Because Canadian banks have like an unlimited backstop from the Canadian government. <laughs> right. Seriously, seriously right. It's, it's a complete oligopoly that, you know, don't look at this budget and see that the, you know, the federal government slap their hands on a dividend tax. This is nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the federal government will backstop the Canadian banks forever ad nauseum. Right. Right. The and at the expense of the Canadian taxpayer. So I don't I don't see it as being a problem. Um I don't right now see liquidity as being a problem in the Canadian market, but I do see like stuff listen, the budget highlights the same agenda that the United States is playing off of, Canada's playing off of. Right. Which is like, we're just going to keep spending money to make people happy. When does it stop? You know, it, honestly, I don't, like, I, how does it finish? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, it just, it, should we buy gold? I mean, gold went up significantly, right? Like, yeah. gold popped uh, as soon as this happened. But yeah. even gold is like, the price of gold artificially yeah. repressed, right? So, um, yeah, play the game, play the gold game, right? Like it's going to go up, but like, um, 
Bitcoin went up, but I mean, Bitcoin's a little different because it's tied to the NASDAQ. And, mm. um, it just broke 29,000 or something, no? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah. It means I, nothing to me. I just read it somewhere. Yeah. Wanted by it to input. No? Yeah, well, thanks for the input. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Matt would like it. He usually gets excited about these kind of things. So yeah, the budget, what did it highlight for us? It highlighted that Canada and the Canadian government has their head so far up their ass that they think that selling us on the idea of continuing to fund clean energy initiatives with our taxpayer dollars is going to win them enough votes to win the next federal election. Right. And I think what they're missing is that if if something more kind of fundamental breaks in the economy, that will have a greater impact on their ability to get reelected. Mm-hmm. But they're playing a game, right? They're playing this like woke liberal agenda game that the playbook works until it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, Donald Trump comes into power. Yeah. Neither alternative, neither alternative is good. No. Yeah. Yeah. I um I was I was gonna ask you actually if you think that Trump's gonna come back like, oh, if you think he's gonna win next time I hope not but I like I mean it'd be good to see someone else from the Republican Party I right. think yeah, I mean yeah. listen I don't follow American politics that that intensely I, right. you know I like I follow the economics of the country um I think that like I heard something very intelligent the other day it's like if you really strip away the platform of the Democrat Democratic Party and the Republican Party, you'll see that like the major agenda is the exact same. Right. Right. Like did the Democrats do anything to stop the might of the American military industrial complex in its full force, go to war and supply weapons in the Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Did they do anything to stop yeah, that? No, no. no. And Will they do anything to stop bailouts? No. No. Um, the only thing that they really want is they want Americans to argue over abortion and guns yeah. until they're blue in the face or red in the face and hope that that, that sideshow takes the main stage so that the people in the background can continue donating equal amounts of money to both parties and continue to make as much money as possible, fully insured, backstop by the taxpayer the reason that i asked about this because i was listening to biden actually speak about the school shooting which is very unfortunate but um, the press clip where he talked about ice cream in the start of it i didn't, I didn't see that oh man i was just talking about guns right and i was you know like the problem is, is gonna play if in? you read off of a teleprompter and you don't <laughs> your brain isn't capable of processing the words that are coming out of your mouth it's literally just coming from your eyes, I don't know what part of your cortex you'd be using in order to <laughs> to find a way to not process what you're saying. It just comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, he yeah. was at when he started talking about it. He was at like some type of small business conference of in, in the White House, and he came out and he started talking about ice cream. And he just like, I mean, the guy's ancient. Yeah, they're all ancient. Listen, I know some very, very spry no, no, no. intelligent 80-year-olds. Yeah. No, no, no. That's Dude. just not one of them. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. his brain has decayed and 
Have you, do you, when's the last time you watched Bruce Almighty? How did you pronounce it? Bruce Almighty? Yeah, Bruce Almighty. <laughs> yeah, Almighty. <laughs> and there's a scene where uh, um, Jim Carrey is making Steve Carell read the teleprompter incorrect. Anyways, that's what I thought. I think I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like changing the words on the teleprompter. Yes. Yeah, very funny. That. Very funny. So yeah, I mean, like that's the problem there. But I think it's part of a bigger problem. Um, you can't win as an independent in that country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the major issues will continue. And then the other part of it is like, you get elected for four years, a four-year popularity contest, mm-hmm. right? That's what this budget is. Mm-hmm. The budget is an attempt to, like, in the budget, they talk about how they managed to decrease Visa and MasterCard interchange fees. Oh, okay. Thanks. Did you read the whole thing? No. It's like I read, a novel. Yeah, I read, I read parts of it. Yeah, I should have read the whole thing, but I didn't. Yeah. I started, and then I was just like, ah. Oh. And then you start reading media on it. And depending on what you're reading, they take a different opinion of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So you have to kind of look at everything through a lens. It is kind of crazy, though, because, okay, I was speaking with Kelsey about this, and we were talking, who's my wife, by the way. Happy one-year anniversary. Um, We were talking about, they they were talking about these grocery tax credits, and they were saying that one set of humans get, I think it's like $233, and then seniors get $234. And I was like, I was like, that's so silly. Like, why just $1? And then I was like, these guys really do have a big job because that extra dollar, I mean, if you, not, not that, like, say how many, how many senior citizens are there in Canada? 15 million senior citizens? 10 million? There's only 30 million people in the country. but No, I know. But like, what? no, seriously. I mean, there's demo, 37 million. Speaking. There's 37 million. Yeah, it's like 40 million people in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. So like, say there's 10 million it might be Old right. People, that's ten million dollars. Honestly, it that's might. an extra ten million dollars. Okay, let's each yeah. of us let's all guess on the number. Over under. Okay. Over under. I'm on gonna percentage? go. I am gonna go. And what senior citizen? Sixty five and nine, over. Nine nine million. I'm going nine million. I'm going nine hundred and one. We're going closer. You're going to over. You're going over nine, nine million. I'll go under. No no nine no no. You, know, <laughs> you first of all, you said fifteen million. I said fifteen, and then I backed. I pulled it back to ten. Okay. So fine. 10 to 15, it was my oh, So range. you're taking 10 to 15. Yes. Yeah. All right. What do I get? Nine to nine one? <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, what are you? Everything below nine million? Yeah, I'll put you anything below nine million. Oh, great. Okay. I, I love my odds on this. I love my odds on this one. Okay. So uh, between 77 and 97, the senior population grew from two to 3.5 million. Huh. In, two, in 2017, it was 6.2 million. Oh, oh, I bet you it's close to nine million now. Wait. You know what? If you could get me, why don't you ask Chat GBT? Are you just afraid she's going to come in here and like kill us all because we're less efficient? Okay, so over the next twenty years, Canada's senior population, those sixty-five and older, is expected to grow by sixty-eight percent. I think it's probably nine million guys. <laughs> Whatever, six million dollars. Well, that was a six million dollar decision to give every senior citizen an extra dollar. You know what I mean? Hey, Siri. That's a big decision. How many senior citizens live in Canada? A little disappointing. Why is your your Siri Irish? Because I said it as Irish woman. Very weird. It's nice when she speaks to me. Here's what I found. Yeah, I like it. I like it, man. Oh, man. July 1st, 7.3. 
There we go. 10 million is not that far off. Uh, I was 70% right. Yeah, dude, for the guy that had the 9 to 9.1 range, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Matt thought it was like 100,000. Yeah. <laughs> Four senior citizens in all of Canada. This isn't the 1500s, Matt. It's under 9 million. That's what it is. Demographically speaking, though, those senior citizens provide a pretty big opportunity for the federal government to pander and get their votes, and mm-hmm. they did that. Uh, By also. giving them an extra loony. No, not the loony. Well, right. think about what are the things in the budget that they probably like. Right. 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 right? They probably like the idea of the dental getting, getting rolled out. They like the idea of some type of additional funding in healthcare. Where there's originals for everybody. Oh, man. Yeah. Or those little bond yield candies you were talking about. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, listen, um, the budget was an opportunity to pander to different audiences. I hope that people see through it. I hope so. I mean, yeah. um, because I don't think it's really doing anything to help with what's going on right now. Like, you know, the there's additional spending for affordable housing, but how long is that going to take to hit? Right. Right. Um, I don't know. They, uh, they pulled back on some of that foreign buyer stuff, too. What happened there? Tell me that. Oh, I don't know how the, all the... Uh, but they, they removed the, the foreign buyer bans on, on people who are on work permits, and raw land and development projects. There's a couple other things that they, that they removed the foreign home buyer ban on. Mm-hmm. But like, that's kind of like, here, we'll have all these people immigrate to Canada, but you can't buy a house for a while. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird. So that's nice that they did that, at least. Oh, so nice. So, anyways, honestly, I think the bigger impact on Canadians' mortgage rates is definitely what we saw happen with that mini banking crisis, mm-hmm. and I think we probably see something else. Um, there'll, there'll be more to come. I think that's not the last of what we've seen. Right. More and more, our people are calling for us to heavy heading into a recession. Less likely that we avoid. And go into this so-called soft landing. Mm-hmm. Um, real estate values seem to be holding up quite well still. Um, I mean, I feel like detached homes in Toronto are becoming more expensive. Really, they're, like they're going up. Yeah, you're seeing that. Yes, that is my that is my opinion. Well, yeah. My price per square foot in my building has gone up a little bit too. So I just kind of watch that. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that I think that. Well, the problem there is that like the builders aren't building right now. Right. Right. So we're at a time right now where we've identified that we're going to have this increased demand, mm-hmm. but costs to build, although they increase and now they're kind of stabilizing, if not falling off, but the cost of money has increased so much that builders are saying like, I don't want to engage in this idea of building this new, making this massive investment. If I'm not sure that the buyer is going to be there mm-hmm. at the prices that I'm going to build that. Right? Yeah, so yeah, they've no. kind of shelved a lot of the big builders have shelved their development plans right now. You mean people don't want to spend $1,600 a square foot anymore on a condo? I mean, they do. I mean, apparently they are still, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, just not at the same um, level. Yeah. yeah. How are you seeing the market? Like, How are you seeing uh, like the borrower? Um, you know what's funny? This week has actually been kind of a... I mean, listen, it is... Um, an interesting conversation when you speak to somebody who is at a 1.99. I was speaking to someone today. They have 1.59 mortgage percent mortgage with RFA, okay, and they're looking to borrow money, right? So, I mean, what's the option? You take five percent, 
right? But, you know, or, you, you know, we look at some sort of, you know, other financing for you. But that's always a tough conversation. And obviously, you know, I did mention that, that values, I feel like, are up lately. But overall, they're still down, right? So equity is a bit of a problem. But I feel like this last week, people have been getting more excited. I mean, we're starting to see fixed rates dropping already, like right now, right? So, um, so I, th- I feel like news about that is getting out, and people are starting to get a little bit more excited about. Yeah, it could provide something. Doing something could provide something for the spring market. Yeah, exactly. I think what you key in on there, like, and we're seeing a lot of it in the mic, mm-hmm. is lending to intelligent borrowers mm-hmm. who are just saying, like, I can't, I can't, or don't want to hold off on getting this. 200,000 bucks that I want to either renovate or invest or to do something with. And when looking at the numbers, it just doesn't make sense for me to break my first mortgage because it is such a good interest rate. And they're borrowing from the MIC. Right. They're borrowing from our mortgage fund. And it makes a lot of sense. And we're seeing a lot of great borrowers. We're able to give good rates to them. Uh, And it's, it's a perfect solution for this time of the market, especially if we can time the money that we're giving you with the maturity on your first mortgage. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how the delta between some of these things are, are, you know, how close they are, right? Like right now you can go to a bank, like, you know, the Red Bank, their, their rates are like 6% basically. And we're lending at, you know, 699, something like that, yeah. right? So, so, you know, it's a better time than ever to, to take a look at and be open to something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think things would have been different if Silicon Valley Bank had invested in Connect Mick? Oh man. <laughs> oh, would have been a perfect match. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, cuz we got the liquidity. Yeah. We're able to pay people out because mortgages mature and we can give them their money. Mhm. Um see, there's the difference, right? Like Connect thinks about its investors. Mhm. The timeline which when they'll want their money back. We think about our borrowers, how long it's going to take for them to repair something in order to be able to pay us our money back. And we make investments in accordance with what we think is happening in the market. Mm-hmm. Like If I can do it with a mortgage fund in Canada mm-hmm. that is like a decimal point on what these guys are dealing with and be responsible, how come they can't? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. Right. Like we have to like we have to be very careful. And when we are very careful, we are rewarded. Right. If we weren't careful, we would have a problem. Yeah. Other funds have problems. Yeah. No, right? there, there is problem. But because we are careful in first of all, if you're investing money with Connect and you want to invest money for less than one year, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not fair to the rest of our investors to take money in for less than a one year term. Mm-hmm. Because we we don't make enough money on the spread between what we are paying our investors and what we are taking from the borrowers to justify processing a new investor for less than a one-year term. Right. So the first thing we say to our investors is plan on having your money with us for a year. After one year, take your money whenever you want. Yeah. And the same way we kind of speak to our investors, we speak to our borrowers. Mm -hmm. We tell our borrowers, there is a plan for you to pay this money back. Right. Yep. We need you to follow the plan. And if you can commit to following the plan, we'll give you the money. Yeah. That way we can time the exit of the loan. So when, 
you know, John borrows $200,000 in second position behind his 1.5% five-year fixed rate mortgage. We know when we're going to get the money back because we know when his first mortgage matures. Right. We can time it. We don't need to take undue risk with our capital. That's why we have not lost a dollar of capital. It's why in a time like this, when the S&P is frothy at 4,000, you can put your money in Connect Mick that just spat out a 9% return last month. Yeah. You can log into our website for all of our investors and you can see every piece of property that we've lent on. You can see the loan to value adjusted on a monthly basis. You can see where your money is at work and how that money is going to come back. Right. I think it's, there's nothing more important than that. It's not in vogue right now to invest in mortgages and it should be. Yeah. It should be. It's, it should, this should be a time the where right, the, the right, yeah, where the right money managers get more of people's capital. I was actually speaking with my client, one of my clients yesterday. He sent me a bunch of documents. He sent me all the things that we need to do a mortgage, and then he sent me his investment statements. I won't say who's holding his money. It might sound like Tedward James. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and and I was looking at his TFSA statement. And I just I looked at them, uh, in a in a, in the light of you know mate, how can we better help? We're your TFSA than just yeah 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 exactly. Um, how can we better help him than just beating his bank's mortgage rate right? And he had lost last calendar year seven thousand dollars, and his TFSA balance was like seventy five grand or something like that. So it's like ten percent of his principal. You know what I mean? I, I was talking to it's my fa- I was talking to my father too because m- last year when the, my dad's you know retired, he's got a company pension, got a company RSPs, and it's all invested. And and it that started going down last year. And I told him, move your money over to the Mick. He lives now in Florida, and he gives me a call last week, and he says the Mick's the only investment he's never lost a dollar on. And I like he he's telling everybody that's a Canadian down in Florida. And he's told all the rest of the family, and the family's all looking into it now too. I love that. I had a good time. This, this, this. This is a good podcast, and I missed you. It's been a while since we've been sitting here together. A few months, anyway. Let's do another one next week. Let's do it. I'm excited. I'll see you then, and we'll see you guys then.